social and political climate that is going on right now and I have a special guest to help me do so because this lady right here is amazing she knows what she's talking about she's very passionate and she just is just an overall great human so today we have Miss Kelly Rogers with us hi she's amazing um, I have some questions that I'm gonna ask her but before we get into that Basically, what we're just going to be talking about is some issues that have been happening in our country, voting, because I have some questions personally that I would love to ask you. And then I am going to kind of give her the floor right now just to give a little background of who she is, what she does, and all the things that make Kelly Kelly. So go ahead, girl. Oh my God. Okay. Hi. I'm freaking excited to be um, on this because I love you and I love the show. Um, and I guess like a little bit more about me, I graduated from, the, we graduated from the same high school. I graduated in 2017 and I moved to New York that next uh, January and I lived there for a month before the shooting in Parkland, Florida happened, um, which kicked off the March for Our Lives movement um, and it was led by the kids down there in Florida. And I was sitting in a Starbucks when I heard about it and I was like, I have never been able to really express my political uh, views because we grew up in a very small conservative mm-hmm. town. Mm-hmm. Don't need to tell you about that. <laughs> um, and I was like, um, you know, this is like kind of felt like my chance to really get involved in a bigger uh, a project that was like bigger than me. So I was super excited about it. We organized this big march. It was great. And like 250,000 people showed up to it. And um, from there, I got poached to work for a production company. So I've been working in documentary filmmaking and now I'm working in video game streaming stuff now which is kind of random for me but it's been like such a amazing opportunity and stuff and then I guess like woven in between all of that I've been just really active politically and with a lot of different human rights issues so that's kind of my gig yes yes but yeah I mean I've always followed you on social media but once all the March for Our Lives stuff happened I was like she's really out here doing the thing (laughs) like she's really out here so I'm just really proud of you and just if you don't follow her on social media you need to because she just be talking her stuff and it's 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 amazing (laughs) yes yes okay Okay. (laughs) so now that we have a little bit of a better understanding of who you are Mm -hmm. I have some questions and just to preface all this, I was really angry one day <laughs> and just like about the state of our country and I just sent her like this voice message memo situation on iMessage and I was just like, we need to talk. Like we just need to talk. We need to talk, girl. And it was kind of like a culmination of all the craziness that's been happening in the media with the Black Lives Matter movement, COVID and how people have been handling that and how our country has handled that. And I just started a grad program and I have just been like literally just shot into all of this research and heavy book work that obviously has to do with media, but a lot of it just circles back into humanity and like how we communicate and most importantly how we communicate through media and how a lot of that is just 
kind of messed up because Mm -hmm. a lot of people just don't really be caring about anybody except for themselves. And I just, I connect all of these issues that you and I are so passionate about to that. And I'm just like, how do we fix this? So that's what's going to be discussed (laughs) majorly today. But, um, let's just chit chat. I have some questions. I have some questions written down in my notes in my phone. We'll see where it goes. And... Actually, I think one of them has to do with something that you posted on your story a couple days ago when you were, like, asking people, how are you really? Like, what, like, how are you? Because we have, I mean, like, we have access to all of this information through the media. And, like, obviously prefacing some of the stuff that we're going to talk about, especially about Black Lives Matter. Like, we are obviously white. Like, we are not speaking on behalf of the black community. We are just talking about what's been going on and how our country has handled it. So I just wanted to preface that with that. We are definitely not trying to drown out any voices. But um, just me as an empath, it's just hard to detach from Mm -hmm. that sometimes. Like this morning I watched a video of, I think it was, I can't remember exactly what it was, but Breonna Taylor's mom was there Mm -hmm. and people were there protesting at this event and they were chanting like we do when we protest and saying her name and you could just like see her mom just like get so emotional and I just get impacted by that like just as a human being you know like I would hope people would feel a certain way when they see somebody reacting in that way and it's hard for me to remove myself from that because it's constantly on social media I can't even imagine how people who are being directly affected by this feel what is your biggest advice for still staying active and still participating in the movement, not trying to let it infiltrate your emotions, yeah. you know? Like, it's hard. Yeah, so. for sure. Um, I think, like, in the heat of, you know, when stuff is happening back-to-back like it is right now, for instance, it is, um, you know, human beings in the history of the entire timeline of the planet Earth have never had this much access to information as mm-hmm. we have. Yeah. And so the way that our brains kind of process that and ingest it hasn't even been studied, much less understood. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing I come back to on all of it is like if I burn myself out to the point that I like give up, which is what happens to a lot of adults, you know, like that thing that they always say like, oh, you'll change your mind. Right. Oh, you'll stop caring. Like there's going to be a time where you just have to get over it and fend for yourself and you'll you'll lose your humanity basically is what they're saying without saying it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, like, like when I find myself approaching that wall, I, you know switch kind of the perspective I guess on it and like realize that the moment that we're in right now is so much greater than like our individual suffering and like that collectively adds up to this huge grief that we all get to share Mm -hmm. so I either realize like when I talk about this with other people I start to get just furious Mm -hmm. Um, that's me that's totally me yeah it's so easy right because you're like want to just grab them by the shoulders and say why can't you yes see what I see but but we know that that's not how humans work and they probably want to do the same thing to us Mm -hmm. you know what I mean so there's a lot that kind of goes into how we like process the emotional aspect of it because it's also politics and politics are historically pretty impersonal right? mm-hmm. or approached very impersonally. So it's like this merriment of this huge inundation of media, this new wave of, of morality behind the politics that we're arguing for and against. And then in the center of that is like just a very depleted human existence because we're like dealing with all these things at once like massive economic downturn mass evictions mass unemployment like people dying thousands of people are dying every day um for one reason or the other you know what i mean and so like i don't think that the social media helps that Mm -hmm. at all 
And yet we still are attached to it because we're like, if I don't know what's going on, I'm a bad person, you know? That's what I think, um, literally. And so, like, I guess, like, my only advice that I have and probably don't take as often as I should mm-hmm. is, um, y- you know, put your phone down, one, which I know sounds like, duh, it's yeah. not profound. But put your phone down, walk away. Like, I take scalding hot showers for me. That's what it is. <laughs> it could be going for a walk. Yeah. It could be watching a television show. It could be whatever. Like, I burn my skin off my body. <laughs> and, and I literally uh, just cry. Like, yeah. that's what I do. And it doesn't make me, like, um, less capable of doing what I want to do and, like, per- pursuing this vision that I have. Yeah. It's you know just your I mean? outlet. But, I, oh, girl, yeah. I sob. Yeah. Like, I literally just, <laughs> if, it's, if it's in the shower, if it's in the car with my mom, like, I bawl my eyes out because it clears all that. Yeah. It just gets I mean? it all out. Yeah. Like, instead of pretending like it's not happening, like, my biggest advice, I guess, and, like, that's not what I did during March for Our Life, was, like, recognize it. Like, recognize that it's a lot. Do what you have to do, whether it's shouting into a pillow, crying your eyes out, going for a run. I commend you if that's your (laughs) outlet. But, you know, just take that and, like, exhaust your body in a physical way. And that works for me. I don't know if it's the healthy option. Well, it's like, but, I mean, it kind of is because it's expending that energy. Yeah. You know, in some way. Because we, we, whether we know it or not, we're expending a lot of energy when we scroll and we Mm -hmm. go on social media. And our body is like, this is not normal. This is not how you actually expend Mm -hmm. that pent up energy. Like you have to make it into some kind something physical, you Mm -hmm. know? So yeah, I totally yeah yeah, and because it's hard because like it's it's so intangible a lot of the times like a lot of these um, feelings don't have pathways to like pursue, especially if you're like maybe in a small town. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. when I was here and this all started happening, like my. I, like, I'm all almost at a rally, like, at least once a month, you know, in New York, because it's right. just so much more active. Right, there's so much more to do there, yeah. I literally well, was, like... Well, not necessarily in that aspect, but there's yeah. more opportunities. Yeah, there's yes. more opportunities. Well, there's just more pathways, and that's kind of, like, the way that I always refer to it is, like, if you want things to, like... If you want to, like, progress, like, I see my, like, role and positioning in this is just giving people avenues to express how they're feeling. Yeah. And, like... I really seriously, we did, we did protests here and stuff, mm-hmm. and had, I think, like, 500 people show up to the first one, yeah. in and out, and we just stood in front of Walmart with signs, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, that was epic. And I it was, was so that. weird and random, and I don't even know why it was Walmart. <laughs> just was like, we're <laughs> we going to Walmart, Walmart, ladies. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, pack up the car, we're going to Walmart. And, and I just posted on Facebook, I was like, I know I'm going to look insane, but, like, I know that I need to go do something physical, and, like, go... Like, I don't know, just make the anger and the sadness that I really feel and, like, the powerlessness almost, like, Mm -hmm. feel really tangible because, like, the point of protests is to apply pressure, right? Right. Like, you're not going to write a bill and pass it at a protest. Mm -hmm. You're going to express, though, the, the, um, you know, the discomfort Mm -hmm. and the anger and the angst and the grief and, like... You know, that's the part of of grieving in general, like on a personal level that no one really wants to ever touch is like that anger, getting it out in some way, even if it's private, if it's going to a protest, if it's like calling your racist uncle and telling him like, this is what I believe, you know, (laughs) I'll see you at Christmas, like like those kinds of things that just makes you feel like you did something that day. And then once you clear it, you move on and you find the real true action, you know, on the Mm -hmm. other side of that, of like things you can do to really make your world better. Mm -hmm. So. Okay, so I think that obviously talking about protesting and, you know, everything that's been going on is a good kind of segue into this question. Yeah. This is, like, my favorite thing to talk about as of recently because, yeah, um, I would love, just because I, like we were talking about earlier, like, I 
have kind of used my undergrad career to educate myself. And while I don't feel like I'm all the way there yet, I'm obviously still using my voice. I'm not really necessarily using that as an excuse to be like, oh, I don't know everything. I'm not going to say anything. Like, that's just not the kind of person that I am. But I do feel like this question could be beneficial to people that don't necessarily know where to start with defunding and abolishment. Because I love talking about that. Yeah. I don't know why. It, just, it yeah. really just brings me joy. Yeah. Um, so if you could, I know that there's so many layers to this and a lot of information to it, but if you could break down defunding and abolishment of the police system and, like, just... I think that it's just not as radical of an idea anymore just because just even in conversations with my dad because he was born in the 1960s like yes there has been progress but not nearly enough and you know since I mean we have had countless accounts of police brutality within the black community since forever but I mean just speaking in terms of when it became a huge thing in the media, which was like when Trayvon, when the whole thing with Trayvon Martin happened. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward to this year with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and we're still seeing the same thing mm-hmm. happen. Yeah. And then people still want to think that that's such a radical thing to think about when there's no progress being yeah. made, when we're still yeah. seeing the same things happen over and over again. Yeah. So if you could just like, yeah, give us your well, give us your your opinion, but also just kind of break it down for us. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, hear. yeah. I think a lot of it, it. The first thing to know about it is that it's existed for forever. You know what I mean? This is not a new idea. Defunding the police and abolishment, obviously, it's kind of in the same way, just transferred, and that's the difference um, from a lot of you know that kind of like dictates your perspective on the issue, mm-hmm. right? Which is like whether or not you see previous efforts to. Um, lessen the suffering of marginalized communities as the solution or if you see them as a step Mm -hmm. you know what I mean so um, you know like chronologically speaking the the um, original police were actually slave catchers yeah and so I said that in my last podcast yeah people were like what and I was like yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah (laughs) so and and so we we took that structure because you know they um, they they passed the um, Civil Rights Act, mm-hmm. right? And we take these structures and we don't ever uh, throw them in the trash can. We just change them incrementally, right? So we went from Jim Crow to the prison industrial complex, mm-hmm. which has almost a very similar effect. It's just a little more subverted. Mm-hmm. Policing has a very similar effect and targets a very marginalized group of people, um, but it just looks different now. Yeah. And so when we talk about abolishment, it's not to say that, like, there's no place for law and order, right? Like, it's not to say that... And, and maybe some people will have a different opinion of this, but this is my elevator pitch of the whole thing. Um, <laughs> I think, like, for me, when we say um, defund the police, that is just the most... The, the least threatening option, right? right? Because we know that something has scary. to be done. Yeah. We know something has to be done that's different and, quote-unquote, radical mm-hmm. um, that we haven't done before um and so when we're talking about defunding the police you know we defund schools all the time we defund social programs all the time we aren't afraid to take money from it when it doesn't impact our personal security in a way that's like very obvious to us or we would think um but the truth is is that like defunding schools really got us here because mm-hmm. America's education system is pretty abysmal, generally. Um, I'm going to talk with my other friend about that yeah, very soon. Yeah, it's so. really archaic. And, and honestly, like, 
shockingly sad, you know, compared to the rest of the world. It is. So, so you know, when we're talking about defunding the police, it's very, it's been very hijacked by all of the media outlets to being abolishment, which it doesn't. It right. really doesn't. No. Defunding is like the first step. Right. That's why I say um, defund first before I jump to abolishment because it's, it's already a hard concept for people to yeah. digest, which is why I said like defunding it seems the least scary mm-hmm. to those that like don't really think in that capacity. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I, I definitely agree in the sense that like defunding is the first step right. to abolishment. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like it's like a it's like a step in the right direction, I guess, and it's not nearly enough. Because um, you know, when we think about defunding things, like the first thing that comes to mind might be like a social program that doesn't impact us directly, but the police almost always affect us in one way or another. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone benefits or suffers by the hand of the police. Right. So it's it's like you know we're talking about taking money out of a system that already has an extremely inflated budget that's spending it on making sure that like police chief James has Cheetos in his office, you know, when when teachers are having to buy their own right. pencils right. for their classrooms. And it's like it's fun. This kind of bleeds into the whole movement for um um a transformative justice system. Mm-hmm. I almost said equal justice. What does that mean? Um, <laughs> a transformative justice system because the the entire point of transformative justice is that it's rooted in treating the crime and not necessarily the perpetrator because right. it has this understanding that like you don't go rob a bank if you are completely and totally mentally sound right you know and it and it takes a much more holistic approach like then you would just throw someone in a jail cell and ruin their life because they now have a felony and it doesn't even matter if they ever get out because they won't be able to get a job and right more exactly to go back into the system and the recidivism rates are so low and abysmal like. These police systems are are pretty much the catalyst that allows that to exist, Literally. and so it's very threatening to corporations. It's very threatening to people that have privatized prison interests um, monetarily, and it's it they use it as a fear tactic to freak out little old ladies like my grandparents and 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 tell them that that means that there's going to be more crime. Right. You know, it doesn't really <laughs> it doesn't really affect the amount of police that we have in our cities. Honestly, like. The proposed defunding uh-huh. doesn't really, the percentage doesn't really affect the number. It just affects, you know, where it's spent, I yeah, guess, if exactly. that makes sense. So they might pull out a million dollars of a billion dollar police budget. Mary, that's like nothing. Yeah. Okay, that's like $10. <laughs> um, so it's like, it's much less scary, right, than the media makes it sound. Mm-hmm. It just reprioritizes a city budget and a national budget, I guess. Like, Because I am one of the people that believes that like a budget is a reflection of your morals. So if we're pumping billions of dollars and millions of dollars into these policing systems while our schools are like wildly underfunded Mm -hmm. like that's where your priority is and then not only is that you know evident in the budget but like that kind of ties into the school to prison pipeline yeah oh yeah which i like honestly had no i mean i knew that there was some kind of connection but like i went to a protest and somebody was talking about it like Mm -hmm. and sharing their own personal experience with it because it was happening within their family Mm -hmm. and it just yeah, I'm getting angry. it takes us no no it <laughs> takes it takes like very human occurrences right like kids fight that's been true since Forever. the dawn of Ever. time and they fight at school and it takes it from being a trip to the principal's office to being a misdemeanor mm-hmm. and it's like that is so has such a deep impact on how a kid sees themselves how the kid operates going forward because if you put in their brain like you're a criminal like you're we'll see you in 10 years and it just completely you know, warps their vision of their mm-hmm. life it, it, like, it, it tells real. you a different story and so it's so complicated and 
hard to understand, which is my biggest criticism of the media in general, is that like there's just no way that I could sit here and tell you all of the deep, you know, uh, intricacies of the ways that these like defunding the police and abolishment kind of erase the vestiges of slavery mm -hmm. that are still wreaking havoc on on marginalized people and black people specifically. But mm -hmm. What I think is the number one takeaway, if I can leave anyone that's still like, I don't really know what that means, is like, you're right. You don't know what it means. Yeah. Okay? So if you're scared of it, you really don't know what it means, and it's probably best that you just go read a book about it. Right. Um, Our Prisons Obsolete by Angela Davis is a great starting place. Like, recommend. Um, You know, these, like, black scholars that have written books and books and books and books on this stuff for years for centuries mm -hmm. you know those are the people you should be listening to not tucker carlson not like fox news not cnn <laughs> you know these media stories have like totally hijacked like i was saying these like very 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 intricate systems that um and, and like policy proposals that have completely demonized them when in reality they're just so complex that we're not really meant to understand that. Right. So if you really want to we're get it... We're not set up to digest all of that yeah, for a reason. Yeah, you're not a policymaker, and that's okay. Say, I don't know, and move on with your day. But don't go around and tell people that they want to defund the police, which means abolish the police, which means criminals run free, which means they let everyone out of jail, which... You know what I mean? Just like yeah. these fear-mongering, terrible stories. Like, there are so many resources that kind of give you that entry level education on it but even then like you don't get it mm -hmm. right <laughs> defunding the police means reinvesting that money in our communities which is a positive thing all around no matter what because there's no shortage of goodness that goes that that can't occur when you invest in these social programs like public school um abolishment means total removal and replacement of a new kind of transformative justice system that addresses the crime and not the criminal as much um and both of them are very deeply complex. Both of them are very hard to understand. Um, and there are plenty of books and resources, which I'm happy to give you some of them too, yes, that you can share with your with the people that listen to this. Because that's just really my best advice on understanding what you're talking about is, like, you have to do a lot of work. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it is a lot of work. And, yeah. like, I mean, I'm the first one to admit that, you know, I've always been aware of these issues, but like I was talking to you before, mm -hmm. I think that I was very much a byproduct of my environment. And yeah. when I went to college, even though I was at a small public university, it was different. Mm -hmm. And I slowly but surely kind of came around and was just like, okay, what do I need to do to reprioritize my way of thinking to understand what's important and yeah. what's not? And what is, what's factual and mm -hmm. what's not, which in this case would be, you know, the media painting this picture of what defunding is and versus what it actually looks like. Right. Moving on. That was really good. I really appreciated that. <laughs> okay, so <sighs> I would love to talk about <sighs> voting and okay. the candidates for this year. And yeah. Because I I low-key kind of want to have like this kind of debunking situation going on right now yeah. because I have my opinions about Joe Biden and I'm definitely going to vote for him. Absolutely. Okay. Positively. Mm -hmm. No doubt. Because mm -hmm. that's just, it's just an L I'm willing to take. Yeah. But, like, I am very apprehensive just yeah. because of his age and sometimes the way he presents himself to other people. Because mm -hmm. I feel like Dems, for the most part, can interpret his transparency and, like, his intentions. Because they're there. They're very much there. But I think... Sometimes when he addresses these political issues that we've been talking about and 
some of the allegations against him in the past make me a little bit apprehensive. And then there is a part of me that believes that he picked Kamala because she is a woman of color. Yeah. Which, yeah. like, right? I mean, yes, but mm-hmm. also kind of like, eh, like, what's, can we dive deeper into that? And then also Kamala's history as well with yeah. incarceration and and stuff like that. It just, yeah, I'm just curious to see how this is all going to play out. And because I do believe that he has a really great chance of winning. Mm-hmm. I really, truly do believe that. Like, I'm not, I don't, I'm not nervous about that, I don't think. But I would love to get some facts thrown at me about yeah. some of the policies that you have seen that, like, kind of gravitate you towards voting for him. And, um, yeah, just anything you want to share yeah. about that. Because I would love to hear. Because I, it, I'm just, I'm a little, I'm a little nervous. Yeah. But, you know. So, yeah. so I first, I'm going to start out by saying something that many old people will be mad at me for, is that, like, I, if we're going to sit here and argue about whether Republicans or Democrats have done more for poor people or black people or gay people, or stream, the answer is, like, they haven't, you know? Um, and marginalized people in general are cogs in a machine that further an agenda that feed into this corporate greed that perpetuate this like very violent cycle yeah, you know for um, sure. and for a long time that really was a very small topic of discussion I don't even know if that's fair to say that it was small because there's always been people that have felt this way of course but the access to that conversation has been so magnified in this age of social media now mm-hmm. that that the resentment is super real yes you know the resentment that the Democratic Party would have four years of this hell to get um, a good candidate that everyone can kind of get behind and rally behind and really support, and they really didn't do their job in my opinion. Um, And so I think that the way that we tell people to vote for them over Trump, I mean, it seems very black and white, but I have very, very real moral conflicts with who Joe Biden is and how he's voted. Yes. That being said, you know, if we're going to vote lesser of two evil, I think it's bullshit um, to say, like, we have to do anything. I don't, I don't want to assert that on anyone because I really struggle with it, too, and I've been totally roasted by every older Democrat in my life, you know, <laughs> that's been like, well, how could you just blah, 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 you know, privileged to vote for not him and all this stuff, and I understand that to a degree. Like, for me, I definitely understand that. I'm like a white lady. Like, I get that, that my, I'm digging my heels over something that I don't really have stake in in the sense of, like, um, you know, his interactions with the black community don't directly impact me. But what I will say is um, he's caused a lot of harm. He's caused a lot of harm, and it's not even speculatory. Like, it's very tangible. He wrote the crime bill. He, um, you know did the whole three strikes things with Bill Clinton. He was all part of the super predator movement. You know what I mean? So so that criticism from the right is super valid, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. It's kind of like a kick to the teeth. Yeah. Um, and it's super valid. And and I agree a lot of the time with, with their kind of questioning around Joe Biden. What I will say, too, is that I think that he definitely has tokenized Kamala in a way that is a little bit sinister and mm-hmm. obvious. Mm-hmm. And that bothers me a lot. Yeah. Um, not that Kamala's not independently, you know, qualified in the sense that she's had a pretty impressive career 
And you know, what she has and hasn't done in that time as a person with power is totally up for discussion and criticism. Mm -hmm. Um, she's had a pretty remarkable career and it's really remarkable that a woman that's her age, you know, was able to do the things she did in the environment that she was in. And so things I don't want to hear people talk about about her is like, she's not black enough. Um, no birtherism. We already went through that with Obama. Yeah. Like, please get that period, in my face. Period. I don't want to hear a white man tell me what they think that they would have done if they were Kamala. Like, I've heard so many people on Twitter that are just these, like, white dudes that want to say, like, well, if I was attorney general, I wouldn't have incarcerated that. Girl, we know you would have done whatever you wanted to. Yeah. Okay? She's operating in a different environment, right? Yeah. In a much different um, social climate than we are now. And, like, <laughs> I don't know if it was you know, we're really markedly better, but we are, I think, incrementally better in some ways. Um, you know, so, so these loud voices that are vehemently opposing her for not doing what they would have done, I, I try not to, like, kind of drown those out. I kind of drown those out. I still have a lot of issues with the things she's done and said in the past, and whether or not those are, like, a reflection of who she truly is or who she had to be in order to have the job she had and have mm -hmm. the life that she had and the influence, you know, simultaneously with all of the convictions and like all of the people that she arrested I mean it's kind of convoluted anyways it's kind of a convoluted statement because she's the attorney general they don't really do low level crime mm -hmm. but I guess it is in a sense like it comes back to her I understand that you know she also built a program that helped a lot of people be you know recidivized after low level drug offenses and like I can commend her on that I yeah. can honestly say that like I'm glad that she was critical of Joe Biden in the primaries because she spoke to a lot of the things that I have an issue with him on. And, like, I, I don't know. I think that if we just pretend that this stuff didn't happen for sake of voting for someone, then we're really demoralizing right, ourselves. Right, exactly. And, like, I totally get that. I totally feel that. What it comes down to, though, is, like, you know, is this really the election that we want to dig our heels in on? And I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, at first, was like, absolutely fuck this. Yeah. You know? I was like... You could not have picked a less... Hmm, I'm to be careful what I say. <laughs> you know, you just... You couldn't have picked a worse candidate, really, to, like, carry the torch for this moment, moment, in my opinion, out of the people that we had as candidates early on. But what needs to remain, like, a steadfast objective, I guess, through these next four years, no matter what happens, that we can't really be discouraged by whoever wins. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, my convictions on November 3rd are the same on November 4th and November 5th and November 6th. So, big picture, like, we've been through a lot of shit yeah. in the United States. Like, World War One, World War Two, the cold, like, you name it, we've been through it. And yeah. we come out on the other side. And so, there's the cynic in me that's like, this is just really the knife in the back yeah. of my neck. Like, yeah, I just real. want to pass away. Yeah. <laughs> but then there's the, like, radical optimist in me that's like, I don't know how we're going to get there, but I see where we're going, and that's something I can believe in. Like, having people like AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Ayanna Presley, um, Corey is, is in there now, and I'm so thrilled about that. Like, like I, I see a lot of, you know, my boy Ed Markey, we're going to get him back in there, uh, Bernie, you know, there are a lot of progressive voices uh -huh. in Congress and in the Senate. And I say a lot not to mean marginally because by all means, like, we're outnumbered. But I think that the more and more we see the tangible effects of things like climate change and racial injustice, the more that the people that say that they are 
good people that want to legislate in a moral way are feeling the pressure to do so. Yeah. That's great. I think that's a great step in the right direction. Like, do I think that the current ticket represents where I want the Democratic Party to go? Not at all. Um, but do I think that it will be incrementally better than Donald Trump? Like, yeah, Absolutely. so much better. So much better. Um, so the last question I have for you, it's kind of circling back to this idea of humanity that I have. And like I said in our little, my voice message that I sent you, it, I think what fuels my anger the most is that people recognize what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like people have eyes, people have phones, people have social media accounts, people network with each other both virtually and in person. And we know the social issues that are going on. You know, just for example, I had, you know, I was in class the other day and a lecturer came in from the Pew Institute of Research in DC and he was showing us different um, surveys and just research and information that he had compiled with his colleagues about you know, this new virtual world that we live in because of COVID. Like, just how insane it is and how necessary, yeah. you know, internet connection, broadband connection is to people that are now virtual and including kids that are learning online and using their parents' mobile phones because they don't have access to a desktop computer. Yeah, yeah. Just, like, kind of bringing that into the conversation, but, like, at the same time connecting it to what we've been talking about this whole time. And... You know, he showed us all these statistics about, you know, how the majority of the American population sees, you know, access to the internet as valuable, especially during this time, and, you know, how that impacts the way we view our world. But then he, sh- I can't remember the exact number, and I'll put it in this, this comment Somewhere. section. But, like, he also showed us that not everybody, the majority of people don't think it's the government's responsibility to implement that into government policy. That not, it's not the government's responsibility to give people the resources that they need. And I think that is true. I think that's so true of so many things in our country. It's just like people recognize what's important and what needs to be done, but they don't want to make any moves to get it done, you know? And I think that's so true about, you know, police brutality and defunding the police and how it can be done, but it's not being done, you know, giving people access to healthcare, you know, just, I think it just trickles into everything. But at the end of the day, like I was telling you, like I truly do believe it's a humanity issue and just people not giving a shit about anybody else but themselves. Mm -hmm. And like, I, and you don't even have to know the answer to this question or not, because it's just like, it's deep. Yeah, it's deep. But like, what do you think, it will take for people to finally open their eyes to how poorly our country is handling and has handled the pandemic, the issue of police brutality, healthcare, access to, I don't even, like just so many different things, like I said, trickle back into this whole idea of like humanity. Like, I just don't know what it's gonna take for people to care. Yeah. about other people yeah. like because at the end of the day it truly is like caring about other people that are different than you or maybe not even different than you just caring about people in general caring about this country and how like it just it, it gets me it gets me fired up so let yeah me, let me calm down but like yeah. I just wanted to know your opinion on that and like what you how you would even approach that yeah as as a person and then just maybe talk about how our country will maybe eventually get there yeah so, um, I guess, like, there, okay, so there's a really good quote from 
um, MLK that says basically, like, I can't, you know, we can't legislate people's hearts. We know that we can't legislate morality in the sense that we can't say the United States of America prioritizes racial inequalities and we are going to do everything we can to totally remove them from our structures. There's always going to be a racist in the United States of America that's going to say outrageous things totally rooted in either you know, some kind of traumatic experience or a conspiracy theory that they heard on 4chan. Like, you know, there's always going to be those subsections of people that just um, don't want to get it, aren't going to get it. But the latter half of that quote is like, but I, we can, you know, legislate. When he, he said something about, like, you know, we, we can prevent people from lynching me and we can put consequences to these violent actions. And I think that's just important. Yeah. Just as important. And I think that, that that concept and that sort of ideology that while we can't legislate people's hearts, we can we can advocate and, and legislate in a way that creates the most neutral, equitable um, living experience for all people. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't we can't say that you're never allowed to say racist things again. That's just not how the world works. It's not how people work. But we can attach consequences to racially charged hate crimes Mm -hmm. you know what I mean and so when we talk about things like environmental justice right like Flint Michigan for example don't even get me started you know that's a form of (laughs) violence that a lot of people would qualify as an inconvenience so when when you know Trump strips our country of regulations like the EPA and other environmental protections that is um concerning for many reasons but the biggest being that like it's now in the power of the state's hands to determine, you know, whether or not the clean water crisis is really that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we when we assert things, this is kind of where I'm going with that, is like things like everyone deserves a dignified living experience. No one should be too poor to live in the United States. Mm-hmm. Everyone deserves access to clean water, clean air. Um, no one should be suffering from environmental, you know, health hazards. Um, uh, we should mitigate instances where the police are targeting black and brown people based on racial biases, and we're going to do X, Y, and Z to remove that from the equation as mm-hmm. best we can. These legislative practices don't tell people that they can't be racist, they can't not care about the environment, but there will be consequences if you do mm-hmm. decide not to care. Um, and, and I think that that's the, the best starting place. And the best way to go about that is, like, it, it takes both sides of the aisle, right, to, like, not just argue how to get there, but agree that this is a priority. And I think that that's, like, my biggest objective right now is talking to people that don't agree with me and say, like, even if you don't believe in free college, do you believe that everyone has a right to a base-level education beyond just 12th grade because we know that the human brain doesn't even really develop until well after high school and well after the projected timeline for college. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that everyone should at least have the access if they should choose to pursue that? And most of them will say yes, Mm -hmm. surprisingly. Like, I believe that it should be accessible. I don't know if most of them will say yes, but some of the people I've talked to, let's just say that, like, some Republicans that I have that are friends will say yes. And so the difference is I'll say, okay, so how do we get there? And they'll go on a tangent about how I took out loans and I worked three jobs and I did this and my family was poor and this and that and the other. And so that resentment then turns into projection, 
you know, so no one else should get the benefit of that, mm-hmm. of a free college experience, because I didn't have that. And my only response to that is like, why would you, you know, you know how bad that sucks. You know that suffering, you know how powerless that feels. Why would you want to continue that vicious cycle onto other people, you know, to come? Why would you want to impart that on other people? And a lot of it comes from this bootstrap mentality that we have in America, which is like, just do it yourself. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of factors that go into whether yeah, or not you can even so pull yourself up. By the, you can God. either get the boots, you know, yeah. to pull yourself up. Some people up. don't even have the freaking boots. Exactly. So, like, so when we talk about these things, it's like, it's less about equality because that means that we're guaranteeing that everyone has the same thing. We're not... We're not saying that. We're saying that, that, that it's equity, that there are base-level moral things that we have to agree on in order for us to move things forward because the political climate that we're in now is just a total back and forth every four years. They'll push a progressive agenda. The Republicans will strip it away, so we're back at ground one. You know what I mean? Then they'll push another progressive agenda, and then we'll strip it away. Like, there's no commonality here, and mm-hmm. we saw that when Trump decided to totally remove um, the Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. He didn't look at it and say, let's improve it. He said, that has no place in my, in my governance, you know, that in my, in my you know, focus. That's, that's just everyone, free market health care for everyone. And we know that the implication of that is now millions of people are without health care. The market will never adjust in a time that is acceptable to allow those people that have lost their health care to find any reliable source of, like, a safety net. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very uncompassionate approach even mm-hmm. if it costs the United States a little more money uh, or a lot of more money um, our spending is just an open wound already so exactly. if you want to close exactly... it don't choose the most vulnerable population to take it right. out on you know um, and like that is what I think is important for a lot of people to understand is that we have to kind of come back together here and like I I would never say that all Republicans are dumbasses and like I don't hate people because they're Republican I might really not like them because they're homophobic yeah I might really dislike them because they're racist but it has nothing to do with being Republican in essence right. and like whether or not that's a, a tribute attribute that you want to associate with your you know collective sort of base your party base that's your prerogative but I would never assert that on on just anyone right um, without them showing signs that they're one of those things you know and so we're battling so many concurrent crises that have to do with media that have to do with this like rhetoric that's being spewed from the White House you know and then this like now belief that we're all geniuses and we know the truth mm. you know um, no party has like the total monopoly on goodness right no party has the like complete control over what is the moral answer the right answer you know what I mean everyone though has the personal responsibility to say that at least I'm acting in a way that's going to cause the most good that's going to do the most good and that's going to have the most payoff for the most amount of people Mm -hmm. that's what I think I mean um and so getting beyond this is going to take a lot of olive branches yes from everyone to just kind of bring it back to center in a way that doesn't compromise our belief in our morality, you know, because a lot of the progressive politics actually existed in the United States. Like, mm-hmm. free college was a thing. Free healthcare was a thing. And corporate interests destroyed it. So before we die for the free market, we should probably figure out how not to die from just, like, dumb things, like yeah. poverty, <laughs> you know? Like, that's just not an appropriate way to die in a moral, rich, you know 
modern society. It's just, it's honestly reprehensible that anyone would assert that because you don't have money, you should have an abysmal living experience. Right. You know, we're not talking like, I don't drive a Porsche. We're talking like, I don't, I have mold all over my walls mm-hmm. and no one can come fix them. I have no AC and I live in the South. Like, things that just bleed into every facet of our lives mm-hmm. that we don't even consider. You know, we're not talking about whether someone gets to go to like, um, Duke versus Craven Community College. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, this is not a comparison. What we are saying is that everyone should have an equitable option. And I think that that's what we have to come back to on both sides of the aisle, just even if we don't agree on how to get there. Like, there's just a lot of healing that needs to be done, respect-wise, yes. kindness-wise, yes. priority-wise. You know, no yeah. one wins because we're all on the same team whether we want it or not. Exactly, you know? exactly. If you're in it to win, you're kind of already lost. Yeah. I don't know. That was good. So. That was good. Yeah. I think that's a much easier way to operate and talk yeah. about this stuff, though, is just, like, I, I'm willing to hear anything. I'm willing, if you want to tell me that alien goats are going to come down and heal us of all our ails so we don't need public health care, I might not agree, but I'll, I'll listen to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'll listen, because, like, um, our ability to, like, you know, move forward on this stuff is, like, contingent completely on our willingness to, like, listen mm-hmm. to one another. We have to, like, first be willing to kind of, you know, and not to, like, the extent that, like, you have to listen to someone be racist. I think that that's different, but policy-wise and, like, legislatively-wise and, like, identifying candidates, you know, in that sense, politically, it requires a lot of active listening and compassion and, like, the knowledge that we're all coming from the place that we were born into and have experienced. So it's important that everyone's taking care of themselves, whatever that means, Um, and that, you know, like... If you have a question about something and, like, someone challenges you in a way that you don't know the answer to it, but it's, like, one of these broad ideas, like, defunding the police, for example, like, there are incredible black scholars that have written entire books on it. Yeah. <laughs> for real. And so if you feel overwhelmed by it, like, just oh my god, there's, there's so much, there's so much that we don't know, and it's terrifying and encouraging, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because, like, we have our whole lives really to build more equitable societies and like that's kind of where like my comfort is in and like I encourage everyone to also do research on who's in Congress right now like really advocating strongly for incredibly progressive and the most diverse Congress our nation's ever seen you know it's it is happening and whether or not it will happen overnight you know it's not likely but that doesn't make it not worth trying for and like you can't be disheartened if Trump wins you can't be disheartened if Biden wins you know it has to be such a deep conviction outside of any political realm first before you can really take that energy and do anything with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. just not, it's just bigger than that. It's yeah. way bigger than that. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than us. Bigger than us, but, yeah. babe. And it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We're going to cheers to that. Cheers. It's going to be okay. Yeah. But thank you so much for all of that. I, I feel like every time you share, it's just very like insightful and like, it always is very positive. It might not be what somebody wants to yeah. hear, but it's very, yeah. like, it's just, it's very to the point and positive, and I just really appreciate it. So, thank you, thank you for coming on. I, love I you. really appreciate it. Go follow her on Instagram. Um, I don't, 
do you want to plug your Twitter? Is Cal- that a little bit off limits? Um, <laughs> Let's just stick to Instagram. Let's just keep well, it. Well, my Twitter is not Kelly. Don't ask. I really don't care. Just you know what you're getting. It's okay. very violent and abrupt. But <laughs> if you're not a Twitter yeah. person, Instagram, Facebook also. Yeah, I have Facebook. I, yeah. I use a lot of Facebook because that's where all my racist relatives live. Amazing. Um, yes. Yeah, that's yes, where they follow yes. me. And then um, if you're in the New Bern area, yeah. um, there's... New Bern Against Racism, yep. if you want to get into any of that. And then um, you're headed to New York. A yeah. Soon, I'm soon, going soon. home. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be here for like the next year. So also if any New Bern people like even just want to like talk about anything or if you have questions, like please reach out to me. And um, then I'm heading back to New York to be with my peeps. Yay. Yay. Super proud of you. Thank you guys Yay. for listening. And I will talk to you later. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> Yay.